Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening, everyone. Rich Catino, New York Sports Wrap on WLIE. Rich Catino is my name, and along with Mike Silva, who's subbing for... Justin Walters is on assignment, but we'll call us at 9 o'clock tonight, talk a little baseball and NBA. Mike, welcome to the program once again. Thanks, Rich. It was uh, a rough week with weather. I'm surprised we got five baseball games in City Field this week, and uh, there was some concern that this weekend that you might not be able to get the games in, but looks like the weather's breaking, the Mets are hot again, the Yankees are hot again, uh, they've been hot for a while, and Memorial Day's a week away. The first benchmark of the baseball season where you say you take inventory, where you're at, and I should know we'll do a little of that today, but where you're at and Memorial Day is one of those first benchmarks, unofficial start of summer. You know, I want to open the show by talking about the insanely ridiculous back page to the New York Daily News. And I'm going to just tell you what I would say to Brian Cashman if I was Sandy Alderson and he called and said, I want... Noah Syndergaard or Jacob DeGrom or as the news had both of them <laughs> but let's let's focus on Noah Syndergaard Mr. Cashman and I know you really couldn't tell a pitcher from the back of someone's hand because you chose Sonny Gray over Justin Verlander you went for pitchers in your free agent history like Randy Johnson and Carl Pavano you finally got it right with CC Sabathia, but that might be the only one you've gotten right in your entire tenure, Brian Cashman. So this is what I have to say to you. If you want Jacob DeGrom, this is what you have to give me. You have to give me Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird, Glaber Torres, Clint Frazier, and another minor league pitcher. And if you want to give me anything less than that, the phone's getting hung up and have a nice day. Well, I don't think that's what the Yankees would have in mind. I don't think that's what, when you talk about trading prospects, the media has in mind. I agree with you, Rich. And I think, uh, and you, you and I were talking about this before, the media's job, and that was totally to sell papers. You have a headline that doesn't totally, let's be fair to John Harper, who I got on John's case on Twitter, not that he cares, but John Harper's article was not quite as declarative as the headline was. But what the Yankees are looking to do at some point, and look, the fans are shooting high. I was listening to the radio on the way here. They're talking about Madison Bumgarner. They're talking about Syndergaard. And they're not looking to give up Gleyber Torres or Gary Sanchez or any of those guys. They're talking about Jordan Montgomery, Chance Adams. Um, they're talking about Domingo Herman. Sheffield. They're talking about Justice Sheffield. They're talking about a, a young kid, 20-year-old kid outfielder down in the uh, Able, Estevan Floreal, who is going to be out. I think he has a Hammond in- injury. Uh, that's what they're talking about. That's a Florida Marlins deal, a team that's looking to rebuild, mm-hmm. bottom out. That's not where the Mets are at. And and I talked about this on my podcast earlier today. And forget about the craziness of how that incites fans. And let's also remember that the media, to a certain degree, is hoping in the back of their heads that maybe they could influence something, you know, and push push right. these pitchers to the Yankees to cr- kind of create a New York super team that they want. But, you know, more importantly, there's not one way to rebuild. And there's no reason why you can't 
compete and win and build a strong farm system and develop players. And just because Baseball America tells you on May 20th, 2018, that you're not a top 10 farm system doesn't mean in six months that you you won't be. Right before we came on the air, I was reading the New York Post. They have a nice article about Anthony Kay. Everyone forgot about him. First-round pick from 2016. Lefty throws mid-90s, Tommy John surgery. Mets drafted him twice, once out of high school. He went to UConn Mm -hmm. from Stony Brook out here on Long Island. And uh, a lefty who throws 95, he may not be a a, a prospect now on 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 the top 100 list, but that's a good arm. David Peterson had a good outing uh, down in Columbia uh, this today. Uh, he's had a good year. Justin Dunn is pitching well. Peter Alonzo. So there are guys that are going to start to get in the conversation. And who knows in October, November, when they start looking at these lists, maybe the Mets farm system looked at better. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden now, they're, they're looked at differently. And this idea that the only way to win is either to be an elite team with young players and a, and a blue chip farm system or a total garbage team that rebuilds like the Astros did, I just don't buy into it. I don't buy it either. And when you look at the New York Mets, and I got news for the rest of the National League, okay, don't get in a short series with the Mets. I don't think anybody would want to play in the short series with the Mets. I'll tell you right now, I don't think the Yankees could – I don't think the Yankees would be so happy about being in a short series with the Mets. A best of five where you have to see Syndergaard and DeGrom possibly twice, and you got a closer like Juris Familia and a setup guy like Robert Gazelman. I don't know how much hitting you need to win a series like that. I saw the 2001 Diamondbacks do it. And I'm not putting Syndergaard and DeGrom in the Schilling-Randy Johnson duo just yet. But And, and it, we all laughed at, at Byung Young Kim. He had an awful World Series, but he had a very good season that year. And it's the same kind of premise the Mets have, where Luis Gonzalez and Matt Williams are your big power hitters, Cespedes and Bruce are your big power hitters, and I think the problem in baseball, Mike, is, is a simple one. There's, you're driving in your car, and the three of us are driving in our car. Our great master control Produ- operator Steven, is driving yeah. in the car, Stephen, and Mike and me. And we're both trying to get to exit 59 on the Long Island Expressway, okay? One of us takes the service road. One of us takes the LIE. One of us takes the northern state. We all get there in time for the show. What? Who had the best route? None of us did. All three of us had a route that got here. And that's how you real build the team different in different ways. Sandy Alderson is not necessarily a pitching guy. When you saw him in his previous places, some of the places were pitching teams. Some weren't. This particular team that he took over, Omar Minaya left him a bunch of pitchers. And even with all those prospects, where was Jacob DeGrom on the list of those prospects? He would, I'll tell you, him and, and to a certain extent, Syndergaard and Wheeler were behind Rafael Montero. Yeah. No, I mean, when, they, when, they, when he took over the Mets in 2010, and it was about bottoming it out. And look, the only criticism, and I understand about it, is they didn't invest in the 2011 and 2012 teams, which I thought if you invested that could have helped a little bit. But it's hard. When you want to shed Beltron and get – the system up and running, it's hard to do both. So we'll put that out on a pass. But nobody drafts Jacob deGrom in the 10th round and says, I'm going to make him Jacob deGrom. He just becomes that. Right. I remember the first time uh, uh, I was having uh, dinner with Tim Burdak, and uh, Tim had told me about deGrom, and he's like, this guy's good. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. Now, he was down you know, on, on rehab assignment for his shoulder issues, and he's down there with these guys. 
Um, you know, he had talked about Michael Fulmer at that time. So, you know, Michael Fulmer was a first-round pick, and he didn't come gangbusters right out of the gate. So these things, uh, you know, development don't happen by tanking, by getting top five picks. This is not the NFL. And I think the, the fans, the timing is perfect. Sam Darnold just got drafted by the Jets. Uh, the NBA and what the Knicks are trying to do is right there in their face. And now they're looking at baseball and they're saying, well, look at what the Astros did in one World Series. Look, I just looked at the San Francisco Giants from 2014, a World Championship team. And even the 2010 and the 2012 teams, they were good. But there was some decent ball players, veterans that were gamers, provided them enough. But they weren't stacked at every position. And they changed their offense in all three championships the one fulcrum was Posey. Right. But everything else changed in their life. They lineups. brought Beltron in in the middle. They didn't make the playoffs that year, but they brought Beltron Hunter in Hunter Pence was a guy they yep. brought in at one point. So, you know, the bottom line with this is this. And, and, and listen, I know Twitter's the bathroom wall of America, and I know <laughs> that, you know, people just go on there and start spouting off because they don't have the ten, they don't have the stones, let's just say, to say it to someone's face. So they have to say it on Twitter where they can hide behind a tweet. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I picked the Mets to win the division coming into this year. Um, if I told you on opening day that we'd be sitting here, May 21st is tomorrow, that means a good five, six weeks into the season, and the Washington Nationals would have two more losses than the Mets, would you sign up for that? Yeah, I think you would. And I think I've been saying this since – We've been on the air, and they were 11 and one or 12 and two, whatever point you want to take. Is that I think this is an 89 to 90 win team, similar to 2015. Uh, does that win the division? I don't know. I don't know how high of a level the Nationals could play to right now. It seems like it's going to be right there. I mean, but that could change. Murphy's still scheduled to come back on that. Uh, they just lost uh, 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 Kendrick, so that yeah. that's that's a hurt. But they brought the young uh, prospect up, the 19, 20 year old. So let's see how that works. Can the Braves play at a 90-win level? We'll see. There's a lot left of baseball. And all these guys, the Marcakises that are playing way above their career norms and these young guys in the bullpen who have never been there before, uh, I hate to sound like Mike Francesa, but talk to me in August. Let me see how things are in August. Still mm-hmm. very early. Things could, could really uh, crystallize and transpire. You know, There's so much baseball left. I mean, there's, there's only 75% of the season left. It's unbelievable. And even the Phillies with Odubel Herrera yeah. and, and Cesar Hernandez playing probably way above career norms. That's not to say they haven't improved and they won't continue to improve, but uh, Odubel Herrera is playing at like a 340, 350-25-30 home run pace for center fielder. That's that's better than Carlos Beltran. That's 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 elite level uh play and he's never shown that to be that kind of player. Um so I have to think that some of that's going to regress. Just like Didi Gregorius, who uh, we talked about in April, who was putting up Babe Ruth-type numbers, and now nobody's talking about him because he's regressed to who he is, a slightly above-league average, very good shortstop, uh, and now everybody has forgotten about that. So, you know, baseball is it – it, it's what I said in, on this show. I keep telling everybody it's pieces of a puzzle that you look at them individually, they look one way, but when you start to build it, it's a totally different situation. And the other thing – you know, and the Mets are having issues with the three, four, five in their rotation. I Ugly think, numbers, six ERA from the three of them. I think Vargas we have to wait on, clearly. But I do think that when Swarzak comes back, if that's the end of this month or in early June, and once he's established that he can go multiple innings in games, Mike, 
I think Seth Lugo is going to be in this rotation, and it's just a question of which of those three guys is going to go into the bullpen as a result of it. Uh, and that's well, I think it's a couple of a couple of things. I, I think you'd certainly have to look at Lugo in the rotation. Is he going to be as dominant in the rotation? No. I mean, he's going to start to have to pace himself and and be a little bit more of that. I mean, I always thought he's a guy that give you six innings, two or three runs, which is more than enough what you need. Uh, I think it all depends on okay if you take. Let's say Vargas out of the rotation and put him in a long roll. He's certainly probably going to be taken out for poor performance. He's not going to give you what Lugo's given you, which is that bridge. The reason they won last night's game, which was a great win, when Steven Matz was pulled after four innings is because Lugo gave you three innings. Right. Lugo is actually – the Mets aren't announcing they're doing the piggyback pitching, pitching thing, but they really are with when Lugo or Gazelman come in early – when these guys get knocked out, they really are. They're just not planning for it. So you have to be sure that if you take Vargas or Wheeler or Mats, I don't think they would take Mats out of the rotation. It'd probably be Vargas or Wheeler. That those guys could do what Lugo's doing and do it effectively. Because if those four two games, like last night, become 7-8-2, you're out of it. There's no comeback. I do agree with you, but I think with Swarzak in the mix, you're able to have a game where maybe you get five innings from your starter, you get two from Swarzak, one from Gazelman, one from Familia. So I think yeah. that, that, you know, it all depends on what Swarzak's health is, and he was one of your big free agent acquisitions. The other thing on the Mets is um, the Mets can't get anything from the media that they're doing anything right with medical stuff. And I realize there's been a past here, but if the Mets put a guy on the disabled list, they're like, they're like saying, well, a Met got hurt again. If they wait, I heard that about Lagaris, like as if as if it's the Mets fault. The Lagaris, who no other center fielder would have caught that ball, ran into a none, ball. none. That's actually hustle. That's uh, that's that's putting your body on the line in a, in a situation that means nothing. They'd criticize the guy for dogging in that situation. The guy's actually going all out. Now he's out for the unfortunate, but he's out for the year. And then that. if the Cespedes stuff, they say, well, he's hurt again. But then they say, why don't you put him on the disabled list? Then when you put him on the disabled list, they say, well, you didn't put him soon enough. The Mets can't do anything medically right. If the Mets doctors developed a cure for a, a disease that was killing people, the media's response would be, what took them so long? And my point on the whole thing is, going back to last week, and I know I'm beating a dead horse here, and the coverage in this town is not objective when it comes to the Yankees and the Mets. It, and we saw it in Clemens and Piazza. That was the first place we saw it. Sure. It has stayed that way for the last 17 years. And you know what? I get vilified for saying this and saying that. But God forbid that, you know, let's reverse the Piazza thing. Let's say that a Met pitcher, let's say Noah Syndergaard in the Met Yankee series hits um, Aaron Judge in the head. Despite the fact that we probably have to wait to have an entire like church vigil the next <laughs> night for Aaron Judge, okay, we then got to figure out how we can make, you know, this Met pitcher pay. Whereas Clemens does it, and I'm going back to the regular season one, not the ridiculous one in the World Series, which he should have been tossed out of the game for. Right. I'm talking about the day he hit him, and then Don Zimmer comes and says, "Well, you know what? He didn't try to get out of the way, Don." Um, you really need to come back to us because Mike Piazza stands as far away in the batter's box as any power hitter. That's what gives him the power to right center field. The bottom line with Roger Clemens is he had exhausted every way of getting Mike Piazza out, so he hit him in the head. Right. And if you want to think anything else, then you're just clearly dreaming. I wrote about this in my book. Now let's take you to 17 years, now to the future. 
okay? And me and Justin argued about this on the show last week. He said, well, the Yankees have their 27 championships, and that's why, okay. But there hasn't been one in 10 years. And so what you're telling me then, if you're evaluating the Yankees on a championship or bust, and I don't evaluate teams like that, I think what the Yankees have accomplished consistently being a playoff team is something to be applauded, just like the Washington Nationals. But if you're going to evaluate a team based on a championship, then you got to tell me the Yankees have had 10 bad years. And how did the lowly Mets, the lowly Mets that do everything wrong, that their owners don't spend money, that they don't know how to do a medical report, that they do everything wrong, how are they the only New York team to be in the World Series this decade? How, how did that happen? Did I miss three Yankee World Series appearances? And I'm wound up right now because I'm tired of it. When the Yankees were in, quote, rebuilding and they made their trades, I didn't see something on the back page of the Daily News that had, I don't know, Carlos Beltran's, you know, in a Met hat or Raldis Chapman in a Met hat because you knew the Yankees weren't making the playoffs and you knew the Mets were rising in the standings, but they didn't do that, yet they do it here. I'll give you another one. The station I work for on an April Fool's joke said Mike Piazza was being traded for Sammy Sosa back when, when both of them were playing. It's funny, though, how the April Fool's joke didn't have Derek Jeter get traded. No. And I think that there needs to be objectivity. And it's like anything else. When you're getting slighted or when you're not getting a fair shake, there has to be someone in the industry that maybe goes above on the other side to try to equal it out. And that person's Rich Catino, and I'm going to keep doing it as long as I'm breathing, Mike. And, look, the Mets want that, just continue to play well. They've won 5 of 7. Things have evened out. I think one of the problems with the fans this year is the extremism of the Mets season. The 11-1 and start, then the horrible play, what were they, 8-17, and and now they've kind of percolated a little bit. If it was win three or five, win four or six, lose three in a row, if they kind of went into little spurts and little uh, valleys, I don't know if everybody would be so upset. But because they played so poorly for the better part of a month, it brought up memories of last year, which nobody wants to go through again, mm-hmm. a 90-loss team. And it started to make them wonder, okay, uh, every time Matt gives up a home run to a uh, uh, John Ryan Murphy type, you know, well, this is not happening. You know, they forget Matt's. Uh, though he's a little older, he's what twenty-seven. It took Tom Glavin five years to figure it out. What's funny is I, I ran across an article from nineteen ninety when Russ Nixon was fired and Bobby Cox was uh, inserted himself as the GM of the as the manager of the Braves. He was right. the GM, and in the column, it was an Atlanta column, an Atlanta newspaper. They talked about how one of the reasons that Cox felt the Braves, despite the fact that the record was bad, they weren't developing the young pitchers and the work ethic of those pitchers was being questioned. Think about this. Smoltz, Glavin, at that time it was Avery. There was no Maddox. Maddox was in Chicago. Their work ethic was questioned. A year later, they're in the World Series. <laughs> the work ethic was questioned. So, you know, maybe Mickey Calaby coming in and with Dave Island, that they're the guys who are trying to uh, elevate Mats and, and help Mats. I mean, remember, I don't think uh, last year – there was very much uh, game calling from the catchers and the pitchers. I think it was Dan Worthen calling most of it, if you watch that. Now, you could clearly see the catcher, Mezzarocco, made a bad call to J.R. Murphy. It's actually John Ryan, but I called him J.R. Murphy when he came up. Uh, and I think Mats has made a, 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 a number of bad decisions this year with soft stuff. 
mm-hmm. and it's gotten him into trouble, and he's got to learn from that. Absolutely. And, and, and Callaway's holding him accountable, and he's pushing him there. I think Matz is a guy that is going to be a solid number three. Uh, he's shown it. He pitched very well in 2016 before he got hurt. Uh, he hasn't pitched well since. Uh, as far as the rest of the rotation, Wheeler, to me, he's a fi- number five. He's going to be good. He's going to be bad. Vargas has got to pitch better than an 18 ERA. I mean, the history tells you that. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting where they slot Alugo in for which one of those guys. Basically, you got Vargas and Wheeler pitching for their rotation spots, or maybe in the case of Wheeler pitching for his big league spot, because I don't know if he's really a bullpen guy. You'd be surprised when guys are put into those situations what they do. So we'll see. It we'll is. see what comes up this week because nobody you think Jason Vargas wants to get out there and get clobbered every start for three or four innings? Oh well he's making a lot of money. You think that's what he wants? No. You know, come on, you know that. And I got news for Yankee fans. Okay. It's early, but I'm gonna I'm gonna you're gonna have bouquets thrown at you all this regular season. People are they're getting the fans are getting bored already. I could tell they're going. Oh, another series went home. They they they're not realizing that things turn very quickly, very quickly. And I got one for you. The Red Sox are hanging with them in every step of the way. Okay, what happens? And I'm gonna let's push the clock to October. Okay, the Yankees and Red Sox are battling for the division, and one of these teams doesn't get the division and gets a wild card. It's a fight-for-your-life play That could be 200-win teams, one of them getting a fight-for-your-life game. Let's say it's the Yankees that get the fight-for-the-life. Or the Red Sox, doesn't matter. And let's say that team waiting for them, being so the Astros look like they're going to command the West, is the Angels. And now all of a sudden you have a one-game season with Otani on the mound and Mike Trout in center field. That's not not what you want. And let's say you lose the game. And this, I can assure you, if that happens, it doesn't matter if it's the Red Sox or the Yankees. If either team loses, you're going to hear clamoring from fans. It's not fair. They won 100 games. We got to change the system. And then I'm telling you right now, they're going to probably think about expansion, four divisions, and having that fourth divisional team play the fifth team. In a wild card or have more playoff game. games, have six playoff teams, have four division winners, six playoff teams, playing game. Well, that might be tough because then you'd have five. Well, I'm thinking the four yeah, divisions and yeah, the fifth team, right. then it makes it four in each league. Right. And it makes winning the division not only important, but right. not having that fourth best record, having the sure. third, second, or first best record. Now, sure. listen, I've been around long enough to know that Rob Manfred, it, he wants to make changes in the game. They talk about expansion. They've talked about Montreal. They've talked about San Antonio. They've talked about a variety of other cities. But I'm telling you right now, if the Yankees get to the point where they're in this season, and let's say they're not the wild card team, let's say they win the division, and the Yankees, again, don't get past the Astros, I'm telling you, this honeymoon, six-meet honeymoon, will be over quickly. And the media loves this. The media loves Boosting people up and ripping them down and bringing them down, and I'll give you the case in that. And Matt Harvey, sure. I can't think of a better case than Matt right. Harvey, where they made him the Dark Knight, and then they said good night at the end of his tenure. And it's a biting thing. And I'll leave you. I know we have to go to a break soon, but I'll leave you with this story. And it was in my book. This guy's a pretty famous columnist in New York, and we're all sitting around in the 2009 World Series, and we're talking about the things we want to do that we haven't done in the industry yet come to me, I said, you know what? I've covered a lot of things, but I've never done Wimbledon. I've never done the Indy 500, Daytona 500. I like to cover one of those events. I've done the Olympics. 
And we go around the room, and some people said, I, I really want to you know, cover the Olympics. I never did. Some people said, I want to cover the Iditarod, something weird and different. And this columnist said to me, you know the only thing I want, Rich? I want to be the one person that brings a player to the highest level it can, and then I want to be the person who rips him down. He said it in front of everybody. And I said to myself, he said it. I know he's not the only one that thinks that. And it comes down to what I said in the book. We cover millionaires. We, we cover millionaires every day. We're not millionaires. There's a reason they're millionaires and we're not millionaires. Because they're one of the hundred or so best in the world in what they do. It's supply and, and demand. We're not. Simple supply and demand. And there's such jealousy in the media of that. Where you hear things like, well, what do you mean he can't play? He makes a million dollars. It has nothing to do with it. And I wrote the book for a purpose, a lot of purposes, but I wanted to get it there that there are ten times bigger egos, ten times bigger egos in the press box than in any locker room I've ever been in. And they all you got to do is look to the guy doing afternoon drive on WFAN. Sure. I don't know if I've ever been an athlete with a bigger ego than Mike Francesa. And my point on it is not to deprecate him because he changed the industry and he deserves a heck of a lot of credit for that. But in the final analysis, and I won't get overly spiritual here, but in the final analysis, it doesn't matter what we do alone in life. It matters what we do with other people. It matters the impact we have on other people. It doesn't matter how much money we have, because when we get to that next world, I think money's probably going to be, it's going to be tough for you to get in heaven's gate than easier. And my point on the whole thing is, I can't sometimes sit there and stomach what the media says every day. They they all sit there, they, they talk about their lot in life, they say how much traveling they have to do. The fans don't want to hear it, okay? Because there's a fan out there that would do what you're doing for one, like, 20th of what you make. Okay, And then all they do then is criticize players who are millionaires when they can't even act civil within their own professions. And, uh, Mike, it's disgusting. I know we've got to go to a break, but we'll pick this up when we go out, come back. But I know, Mike, you feel the same way I do. Yeah, I mean, I've seen great people in the press box. I've seen not-so-great people. But um, at the end of the day, you're trying to bring some balance to all this, and that's what we're trying to do here. So hopefully – you know, we've we've reined it back in. I know we have to take a break, so yep. New York Sports Wrap, let's take a break, and we'll be back with more right after this. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the preceding program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. 
cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and AJ Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 540 AM from 7 to 8.30 Sunday nights. Visit their website, www.sportstalknylive.com, for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York, Sunday nights from 7 to 8.30 on WLIE 540 AM. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's perfect. Allison, wait. Are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Mike Sova. Subbing for the uh, Justin Walters, who we have on the line in a sec. We want to go through the scoreboard a little bit. Second quarter, NBA Warriors lead the Rockets. 28.3 seconds left in the second quarter by a score of 54-41. to The Golden Knights are in the Stanley Cup Finals. They beat the Jets by a score of 2-1 to today. Major League Baseball, Yanks uh, take two out of three from the Royals. They win it 10-1. to Mets get the sweep over the Diamondbacks 4-1 to with a great day from Ahmed Rosario. We'll hear from him a little bit later on in English. I did an interview with him, so we'll hear that a little bit later on. Red Sox over the Orioles 5 nothing. so the Yankees and Red Sox still in a virtual tie for first in the AL East, although the Yankees have a percentage point lead there. A's 9, J's 2. We had the White Sox 3, the Rangers nothing. Uh, Tigers beat the Mariners. I should say Mariners beat the Tigers 3-2 to two in 11 innings. Indians and Astros tonight will be playing uh, in the uh, Sunday night baseball game. Angels beat the Rays by a score of 5-2. to two. Back in the National League, Cubs over the Reds 6-1. to one. Braves beat the Marlins 10-9 to nine in a game. The Marlins had an 8-2 to two lead, and the Marlins are bringing that beleaguered bullpen into City Field tomorrow night. Dodgers over the Nats 7-2. to two. Dodgers sweep the Nats. And swept them in a three-game series in which uh, uh, Strasburg and Scherzer both pitched in that series. Interesting developments in D.C. Padres beat the Pirates eight to five. Rockies uh, down. Giants, I should say, beat the Rockies nine to five. Cardinals beat the Phillies by a score of five to one. 
We have Justin Walters on the line who's going to join us. We're going to talk a little uh, baseball, but first we're going to talk about stuff going on in the NBA. Justin, how are you tonight? I'm doing lovely watching this Warriors and Rockets game, which is seconds away from going into halftime. I see that. I see that. Um, the first question I want to ask you with the NBA is, and, and you know, you and I talked about this this week, and we kind of talked about this subject a little bit in the first half hour of the show, how everybody jumps to conclusions based on one game in a playoff series. Oh. And, um, <laughs> and I, I guess we, we'll talk about first the Cavs-Celtic series and um, your thoughts about that, and I have some thoughts about it too. It's now two games to one. The Celtics lead the series. Where do you see this one going, Justin? I think the Cavs, are once again, are going to be able to win game four. They're a much different team at home, as well as the Celtics being a much different team on the road. LeBron and them were able to punch them in the face, and the Celtics definitely tasted some humble pie, and they got brought back down to reality, which probably was needed for the team, as Terry Roger definitely mentioned after game three. But overall, when the role players, LeBron and the supporting cast, actually does step up, they're a much different team. George Hill started the game off definitely distributing and much more aggressive, and then LeBron took care of what he needed to. But when J.R. Smith, Kevin Love, and the bunch are able to actually make shots, it makes a whole wild world of a difference. Justin, it's uh, it's Mike, and I know you and I spoke about this last week. We When we were talking, it was just after game one when the Celtics had, like you and I said, came out, blitzed the Cavs. And I know uh, Tyrone Liu had them doing a lot of film work on their days off between games two and three. And, you know, I have to wonder, and again, you'll, we'll never know. They're never going to admit that. Maybe the Cavs took the Celtics a little too for granted. I mean, they were up in the first half of game two. Celtics came out in the second half. Um, and now maybe they're, okay, this is a series, taking them seriously. And if that's the case, you know, this might come down to game five because I think a game seven – in Boston would be tough for the even with LeBron for them to win. Not that they couldn't win. I mean, they won in Golden State, but uh, you know, series like this tend to home series come down to Game Five. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I would agree with you a lot, Mike. That Game Five would be obviously the most important game, assuming that the Cavaliers are able to win Game Four. But I think it's something we alluded to when we were both on air last week with the whole feast or famine. I think it was more relating to the Mets, but it's apropos for the Cavaliers supporting cast. There's never a gray area. It's black or white. They're either on or off. It's like a J.R. Smith kind of game, which has been his career. When J.R. Smith is on, he can look like top 10 players in the NBA. When he's off, he looks like, why does this guy have an NBA contract when he's even touching the floor? And me and you could probably do a better job than making a shot. So the team needs LeBron to have the similar game that he had in Game 3. He doesn't need to have a 40-point triple-double, but more around the under 33 points and filling out the rest of the box score. But Game 5 is going to be crucial, assuming that they win Game 4. I do think the Celtics, once again, are going to lose Game uh, 4 as well. But overall, it's funny that you mentioned that, Rich, earlier about how the narrative, definitely the media runs with it after one game there, prisoner of the moment. And they definitely did that with the Western Conference Finals. After game one, people were talking about a sweep. It's one game. One game. And then after game two, people were like, oh, what is up with Steph Curry? It's like, chill. Like, calm down. The series is far from over. And now we have an interesting game three. But overall, it is funny how the media definitely narrates different things as the game progresses or the series 
progresses. Rich, it makes me wonder if we had Twitter when Patrick Ewing had the one-point game against the Pacers in yeah. 94 on uh, the day of the Indy 500. I think that might even be Memorial Day, what would have happened. Uh, you know, you move over to the Western Conference, Justin, and, and, you know, you and I both agreed we thought the Warriors would win this. We talked about in five. But, look, I know the Rockets lost game one. It wasn't as much of a, of a spread as the final score might have indicated. They came out. They blitzed them in game two. I know they're down double digits at halftime now in game three. To me, if I'm the Rockets, I just got to get a game in Golden State, either today or tomorrow, uh, game three or game four. And I think I'd be curious, going back to Houston 2-2, how do the Warriors respond? I know they're a veteran team. I know they've won championships. But this is not you know, a walkover Western Conference team. This is a team that's very closely mirrored to them. This is a team that could put up pinball numbers like they, they do. No other Western Conference team could really do that. And I'd be curious because then the, the heat gets put up a little bit. And then you have yourself a series if this goes back 2-2. I know both of you haven't been able to watch the game as I'm sitting down, but the Rockets have over 11 missed field goals inside the paint, 11 layups and dunks that have been missed. You can't They're do down that. by 11 points at halftime. You half can't time. do that. You can't do that against the You Warriors. cannot do that. The margin for error is extremely small. And then to put on top of that, Stephen Curry, the two-time MVP, is not having a good first half. You're only going to be throwing so many different bones. Yes, the series is 1-1, but when you have this kind of game where the MVP and the second-best player on the team is not playing well, you need to put your foot down their throat. And there are not going to be this many type of opportunities that are awarded to you. You built and constructed this team specifically to get to this point and to beat and dethrone the Warriors. And now you have to make sure you step up. You're in their building. You know they're going to be playing well. There's nothing like playing in the Oracle Arena. The crowd is going to be buzzing, and they're going to be feeding off of that. You know you cannot stop. No one on that roster, let alone in the NBA, can stop Kevin Durant. He's going to be able to drop 25 without even looking. You see Chris Paul switching on screens because that's the Rockets' motto. Everything is being switched. So no matter who's being Kevin Durant, he's going to be able to score. And that's played to their heart. But now with Stephen Curry not being able to make any three-point shots. I think he's one for six in the first half. That's being anomaly. You would hope that the game would be closer, but you can't miss these kind of field goals in a different kind of building. The third quarter has kind of been the DNA and identity of the Warriors is that they come out and they really do ram it down your throat. So we'll see if they'll be able to do that again uh, for this quarter. But the third quarter is going to be crucial. You can't expect to win a game and you have more than two handfuls of missed field goals at point-blank range. You know, the Rockets in this game have had a 22-point first quarter and a 21-point second quarter. That's just not good enough against the Warriors. you got to put up 30-point quarters because you know that there's going to be that, even if they're not playing well, the Warriors, you know there's going to be that one quarter where they're just shooting from out of the sky. And you know it's going to happen. It's like the sunrise and the sunset. It's going to happen. And the Rockets need to, you know, when they had a chance in the second quarter here, they held the Warriors to a 23-point quarter, which I think is pretty good defensively against Golden State. But they themselves only scored 21, and I think that's what you're referring to, Justin. That second quarter was a tremendous opportunity on how the Rockets played defensively to cut this lead to at least four or five-point deficit at halftime. Yeah, the Warriors went on 11-0 mark to end the first quarter. Swaggy P knocking down some threes. So anytime Swaggy P is able to contribute, that being Dick Young, the Warriors are definitely feeling it. But, yeah, you have to execute on those opportunities when they do present themselves. 
it's still only one half of basketball, and I expect the Warriors to win this game when you have Steph Curry, because the Warriors can't win without Steph Curry. You have four superstars. There are going to be four players that most likely are going to go into the Hall of Fame. Clay Thompson, it looks like he's going to stay there. Then you have the heartbeat of that team being Draymond Green and Steph Curry in addition to Kevin Durant. That's extremely hard to beat. And the fact that the Rockets are this close, they have to understand that, guys, we should be down by a lot more knowing how many field goals or points we left on the board. So you would only hope that Mike D'Antoni and the team would actually have some adjustments despite their isolation of basketball. It's not necessarily their ISO basketball, because I know a lot of people have been hammering for that. It's attacking very early in one-on-one situations. You have to make sure that as easy as Golden State makes stuff look on offense, you have to make them work on the other side of the ball. So if you're going to go one-on-one, it's not how many dribbles you're taking, it's how many dribbles it takes for you to get to your move. So if you're taking shots within five seconds of the shot clock, that's horrendous. But if you're taking shots within 13 seconds, and it may be one-on-one basketball, but you're scoring early and shooting early, that's fine because you're making the Warriors work hard. That's why the switching of each single player is helping because they get Steph Curry, who's probably the biggest liability on defense when you look at the Hamptons 5 starting lineup or any of the other offensive players because they're not going to be able to be as deep as they can with this roster. You can't get David Weston there. You can't get JaVel McGee because any defensive player you throw out on the floor for Golden State or the Rockets, they have to be able to D one through five. Nene hasn't seen that much playing time for the Rockets. That's the reason why, because this has been all about switching every single play. And Clint Capella can somewhat hold his own so much, but you still want to have a rim protector in there for so what. So that's why he's able to D Draymond Green occasionally. But there's mismatches all throughout this series. Uh, let's switch topics to baseball, Justin. And before I get to the Yankees, and they had a good weekend. They won two out of three in Kansas City after having a, kind of an all-star break, although they had to stay in the uh, airport <laughs> during their all-star break. over in the airport. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Robinson Cano thing first. Um, obviously, you know, I think the interesting thing that, that I saw people in the media miss on this one, and that's not knowing the rules, a couple people were saying, well, He'll be out for 80 games. He could still come back for the regular season, and if they're still in it, they, he can help them win a championship. No, he cannot. He is not allowed to play as part of the rules. He can come back up to 80 games. He can play in the regular season, but he's not allowed to participate in the playoffs. That is a rule in Major League Baseball. I was kind of surprised a lot of the media didn't know that. that. That's a good point. Um, so he cannot play in the playoffs. So to me, the Mariners are in serious trouble losing a big bat there even if they make the postseason. But notwithstanding that, let's put that to the side, Justin. Were you surprised to hear about Robinson Cano? Because I know Mark Teixeira wasn't. <laughs> I think that's a better question for Mark Teixeira. <laughs> Was I surprised? I can't say I'm surprised that any of these players were doing it. We had a conversation earlier about this, Rich, and I'd love to hear your take on this, Mike. If you think about the way baseball climate is set up, it's not a level playing field. And for you to ask an individual like Robinson Cano, that may not be lauded as much as other individuals when you understand that people are getting a check cut for them and they're getting a lot more publicity and their brands are taking off. But because this individual is clean or so what, they're not going to get as much as due diligence and get their face and name out there. When you think about that, you can see why a lot of these players, 
if you tell them it's a 50-50 chance, I'm not condoning cheating by any means, but when you look at your counterparts and they're not getting caught and you just try something, I can't blame him for doing it at all. I can see why they do it. Now, in regards to the cover-up, these cover-ups are foolish. I'm waiting for the first person uh, just to come out and say, you know what, I did it. I took PEDs rather than saying, hey, I didn't know how to put into my body. It's like what um, uh, his name puts my mind, Milwaukee Bulls, Ryan Braun. Right, right. When Ryan right. Braun said, he said, I believe I did not. What do you mean you believe you did not? <laughs> that makes no sense at all. Like, I believe I did not take steroids. In other words, you say you took steroids. It's like the worst cover-up. Just someone to come out and say, you know what, I took it. <laughs> and I just want them to discuss, like, about how they feel like they felt pressured because they understand that a lot of teams are on it and they're turning a blind eye to it. It's all about the guinea pig. You know people are doing it just like Reggie Bush when he got caught for, and they tried to take away his Heisman. Athletes have been play paid for years in college football. He's just the first player to actually get caught, and they're going to use him as a guinea pig and propel him out there. This is wrong. This is wrong. The NCAA is corrupt. Just like the MLB is corrupt and came through this, tons of asterisks. So we know that this is actually taking place. Now, for to share what he said, let's just call a um, let's just call a spade a spade. The reason why he said that about Robinson Cano, he wasn't as close as people think he was. Just like Matt Barnes' ex-wife can marry Derek Fisher, and Derek Fisher and Matt Barnes were teammates, they weren't that close. You're not going to say that about a colleague that you're close with. If I thought that Rich had something against him while I was working with him, and I, was, and I have a great relationship with you, Rich. I'm not going to come out if a claim comes out. I'm going to actually say that, no, I'm surprised by that. Just like Jorge Posada, I forgot who said it at David Wells' um, actual, uh, he had a foundation for his 20th year anniversary for the perfect pitch or the perfect game, and they were saying that I took Robinson Cano under my wing. I had no evidence of this, and I didn't know this actually took place. So they weren't as close as people thought they were. Simple as that. Yeah, and you know, this is the thing about Teixeira. You know, he's trying to carve out another career for himself right now. He's he's a regular guy on, on my station, on the Michael K show, and he does you know give good analysis and good input. But this got his name out in the front of the media when it hasn't been there for a long time. Justin, I like his analysis too. Honestly, I don't look at or think about his playing career. That was moot. He's not the most beloved Yankee, and that's hard in itself. But I think his analysis has been solid. His life after baseball, he's been doing a well job. And now he's looked as um, a whistleblower. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I, really, I really think that, you know, because you know, listen, you know, we talked about Clemens Piazza earlier today when we were talking about another topic, but the whole Yankee clubhouse knew what Clemens was doing. Let's not and, let's not say but, anything else. And even Derek Jeter, and this is the class act that Derek Jeter. I've always thought that he is and is, and although with the Marlins, he's starting to lose some of it now. But Derek Jeter, when we went down to talk to him about the whole Piazza thing that night when he hit Piazza in the head, um, he basically said, "I have no comment." And that was a direct analysis to me that he was saying, "Look, Rich." I know what Roger did. He did it to me when he was in Toronto, so let's just leave it at that. Right. Justin, you still there or did we lose you? No, no, I'm still here. Okay. I was going to mention about the 2006 Yankees roster. And if you think about it, about now they have a handful of guys that were on the juice. 
You have A-Rod, you have Giambi, the aforementioned, and then, of course, Cano. It's like, man. And you got Melky like, Cabrera, too. And you got, and Cabrera, you got, and you got right. Andy Pettit. And, and yep, listen, Andy. and Melky Cabrera, Cano, and A-Rod, and I saw this when I covered the Yankees in spring training of 2008. They were in their own part of the spring training locker. They were very tight. Cano has associates that are uh, connected to Biogenesis. Uh, um Look, I mean, I know for a fact. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And look, you you can get easily popped unknowingly if you're a player. I know a little bit about this. I've talked to players. If you go on vacation in the offseason, you have to tell baseball because if you're on vacation and they send you the kit to be tested and you're like, well, I can't get it done in the 24 hours because I'm with my kids in Hawaii, doesn't matter. You're guilty. You have to let them know you're going away. I mean, you have to take that test. And they give you a list of uh, over-the-counter energy drinks that are okay, that you won't get pinched. You could go to a bodega in Manhattan, grab something out of the freezer, and drink it. And there might be something in there that you could get pinched for. Now, is that what happened to Robinson Cano? No. But it's not as hard as you think if you're sloppy. Now, you got busted for a masking agent. Which exactly. tells so, you that he wasn't busted for steroids; he was busted for a masking <laughs> agent, which was covering something up. So, who the heck knows what he was taking, thinking that he could? You know, this isn't uh, this isn't steroids, or it's something to give him energy, or whatever it is. So, and it, he's a bad liar. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a masking. It's, he took something. He took something that wasn't on that list. They give you the clubhouse. They give you a list of the clubhouse. You're okay if you take these things. You go outside of it. You may be okay. You may not be okay. But it's on you. They educate the players. There's no excuse at that point. Well, and, and I think, too, one of the points you brought up, Justin, is a valid one. First of all, fans are sick of hearing about this. I, I can tell you, fans tell me they're sick about hearing about steroids. And I have fans that have come to me and said to me, Rich, not only am I sick about hearing about steroids, but if steroids kept players on the field longer, then I think it should be allowed. I, I have heard that from fans saying that the injuries that we've seen in baseball now that have really proliferated in the last – four or five years, who knows how much of that is that PEDs aren't being taken so that recovery time is shorter and that you can work out longer. Both of those things are benefits to having you know performance-enhancing drugs. And I don't know, maybe the sport's not as good without them. I know that sounds crazy, Mike, but a lot of some fans have said that to me. Some people are against it. Some people even joked around saying there should maybe be a wing in the hall for people that have at asterisk next to their name, like, uh, I can't say with 100% of doubt. But then again, how can we say for any player that may just be hitting out the park? I'm sure John Carlos Stan has been suspected just because of his frame and how big he is, and he's able to swing the ball as far as he can. Obviously, judge his mammoth size. You would think that he's clean and he's clean cut, but there's always going to be a doubt. No person is going to look as a perfect guy. I know... Um, me and you joked around about it, Rich, but it's like, oh, someone's like Jeter, Mariano Rivera. But people are always going to think, like, did this guy actually do something when they go on these crazy tears? And that's really unfortunate to think about. But there's a risk and there's a reward. The reward is that chicks dig the long ball. Everyone loves when someone's hitting baseballs. People would prefer a series like we had last year in the World Series where there's tons of runs and excitement rather than a perfect game and Justin Verlander shutting down someone on Dallas Keuchel, per se. So that's what yep. people love. It adds to the excitement of the game. And, you know, uh, by the way, Lance McCullers tonight, perfect through five innings, the Indians and the Astros, but the, it is scoreless right now. But 
Five perfect innings for Lance McCullers, and I think the Yankees know what that feels like to have some perfect innings from the Houston yeah, pitching staff. Um, um, since we're on that point, just for a quick mention, that I think obviously everyone's falling in love with what the Yankees are doing so far, but I still give Astros the best team in the AL, and it's not even close. When you look at the top leaders in ERA, they have three of their pitchers. Like, how are you going to think about beating Cole? We obviously know the transition that was made, and the Yankees were thinking about going after him. But you have Garrett Cole, you have Justin Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, Charlie Morton, and Lance McCullers. Like, I'll take those five guys any night. And Dallas Keuchel doesn't even have the lowest ERA amongst the group. He's more to the back end because obviously he hasn't had the best run support in some of his games. But overall, that's a nasty top five right there. The I can Yankees see. I can not see, beat that. I can see the Astros trying to build. Get a close with the deadline, maybe a Brad Hand or someone like that. The one question I want to ask you about, and we'll this will we'll leave you with this one, and this is an issue we talked about in the first half hour. Let's say the Yankees and Red Sox finish the season both with 100 wins. One wins the division, one gets a wild card. Pick whatever team you want, Red Sox or the Yankees. And the wild card opponent is the Angels with Otani on the mound and Mike Trout in the outfield. And let's say the Yankees or Red Sox lose that one-game playoff. Do you think there's going to be a fervor in Major League Baseball to kind of change the whole playoff format in the sport, maybe make this you know, expansion two teams, four divisions in each league, and maybe have the fourth divisional team play the, the wild card for that one-game playoff? I just think if the Yankees or the Red Sox have a, over 100 wins and lose a wild card game and are one and done in the playoffs – I have a feeling that we're going to hear the screaming and yelling, Justin, all over this country. Uh, I can't say that, that you are going to hear the screaming and yelling, but for it to cause immediate change, no. And sorry, I know you didn't really propose immediate change, but for Rob Manfred and his club to actually think about it, I'm sure they're going to get questions thrown at them, but nah. No, I don't, I'm not proposing immediate change. I don't want no, immediate no, no. change. And, uh, there, people are going to be kicking and hollering and storming if that does take place, because I think there is a legit chance that that it will take place, that either one of the Yankees or Boston Red Sox could get bounced out. Because it's a one game. You don't know what's going to take place in a one game. Right. Just like when the Mets had to duel against... Um, Baumgartner. Yes, against Madison Baumgartner. And no the guard was wiped out. But you know what? It's a one game, and they scored just enough runs. You can't yep. ask another team to do more than that. So, yeah, it's just part of it. I like the way the system is set up right now, and I don't mind it because in any sport, I think it makes winning out of all the four major sports. There's nothing like a division crown. That's why they actually celebrate winning the division crown, and they do the champagne locker in, in baseball compared to all the four major sports because right. it's that crucial and it's that important because you feel like you've done enough legwork to get past the wild card to make it into the postseason. I think that's true. Justin, I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, the Mets will be playing the Marlins and the Brewers, and by this time we'll know where they are with that. Yankees are in Texas, and then they come home and play those aforementioned Angels in a weekend series. So it should be a really good uh, week of baseball in New York. Justin, thanks for joining us. All right, take care, Mike. Take care, Rich. Okay, take care. That was Justin Walters. And before we go to a break, um, and I know I'm probably doing this the wrong way, but we did an interview with Jose Reyes at um, at 
City Field today prior to the game. And when we come back, we're going to play that Jose Reyes interview and then talk more about Major League Baseball right after this with Howie Carpin. Take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish, Dad. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signals to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Rich Catino along with Jose Reyes. Jose, I know we've talked about it uh, this season a little bit, but the part-time role you have off the bench, it's something that it's tough to get used to when you've played every day. How are you dealing with it? You know, yes, continue to work. You know, I know there's something different for me. But, you know, I had to find a way how to <clears throat> to be successful in, in this kind of situation because this is the first time doing it. And, you know, still early on the season, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. I know little by little, continue to work hard that I'm going to end up having uh, contribute a lot for this ball club. And now, doing that as a switch hitter, does that make it even more difficult because you got to keep sharp on both sides of the plate, not playing every day? You know, it's no excuse. As a switch hitter, you, even when you play every day, you have to make sure that you're still sharp and from both sides of the plate, you know, so I don't see no different, no different there because I had to work both, both sides uh, because I don't even know what, what side that I'm going to be hitting that day. But like I say, even when you play every day, you have to still continue to work from both sides of the play. Your buddy is Drupal Cabrera has had a great, great start to the season. I mean, he last night he um, pulls the bunt. It wasn't on from what I understand. He saw the third baseman playing back. I mean, is he one of the smartest players you've been around? Yeah, I mean, you know, the good thing about him that he's a team player. You know, he, he saw the situation yesterday. You know, tie ball game in that situation. He saw a three base back, you know, so no every player do that, especially the way that he be swinging the bat this season. So, but, you know, 
that's smart play right there because the third base was way back. You know, he just showed the ball early and, and put it down in perfect spot, you know, so that's what winning players do. I know you've been have the role of, of being kind of a confidant for Ahmed Rosario, and the thing I've seen, biggest change more than anything, is his pitch selection at the plate is so much better. He's not kind of swinging at those pitches in the dirt. Is that something he's been working on really hard? Yeah, that's something that, that he'll be working on. Uh, it's, mm, it's not easy because when you're young and you come to this game, you, you're aggressive. You know, you come through the minor league being aggressive. Uh, you know, I know it's going to take some time for him because it happened to me. You know, the first year that I come to the big league, you know, I was even... After a little while, I was still swinging, you know, a lot of pitch in the dirt, you know, because we come so aggressive from the minor league. You know, that's something that you have to work on it. And the most that he play in the in the big league, the more comfortable he's gonna feel. So I know that he's gonna uh, be better every single day. And because the ta- the talent that he has is unbelievable. You know, another thing that's kind of got lost from the media is the season Jerry's Familia is having. And it's not only the saves, but he comes in, it's like nine pitches and the inning's over. You've seen him grow up. I mean, can you talk about, you know, playing with him, how much, how good he is at what he does? He's probably one of the best closers in all on the whole sport. Yeah, it's no doubt. I mean, me and Familia, we have real great relationship. I know Familia since he was uh, able you know, I wasn't the big league, so since that we we become a real good friend, and yet to see him this year, like you know, doing it, like the year he, uh, like the past, because last year was tough for him because he got surgery and stuff, and this year he looked very good, man. And you know, we're gonna need him to close those games for us, and he been doing that this year, so that's real good to see. When you won final one, Jose, when I walk around this clubhouse and I bring your name up. I hear the words great teammate from everyone, from all corners, from pitchers, from infielders, from outfielders. And Mickey has a lot of confidence in you. I mean, how does that make you feel as a player in that not only they respect you as a player, but they love you as a person? Uh, you know, that's me a lot for me because, you know, I, I, since I've been in the big league, since I was in the minor league, you know, I always trying to be the same guy. You know, the guy who come, who come to the ballpark with a smile, with the right attitude, winning attitude to play high every single day and you know that means a lot of the team and my manager and my coaches they, they talk they talk like that about me because you know I don't want to change I can go off 100 100 400 I'm going to be the same guy with a positive attitude in the clubhouse you know even if I make an error uh, I don't come through in close situation and stuff I'm still going to be the same guy because I know some other opportunity going to come to me and, and like I said I appreciate that from my team and my coaches they, that means they believe me and they have my back and friendships are important and I've always considered you a great friend. You've helped me with my career. You've made my career better. And, Jose, it's always good to talk. Thank you, man. I'm always going to be open, not only for you, for everybody who want to talk to me. And, you know, uh, Jose having a very rough time of it. And I know Twitter's been killing oh, him. Oh, the fans, were, he's he's public enemy number one after he last is, night. And But, you know, it's maybe I'm not as objective with Jose, but I've known him. I've probably covered more games of him than anyone else that covers the Mets. And, I love him like a brother and always will. So, And speaking of guys that I love like a brother, um, Howie Carpin on the line, our baseball expert. Howie, welcome to the program. Good to be with you guys. You know, Howie, uh, we're going to talk first about the Mets, then we'll talk about the Yankees. And obviously it was an interesting week for the Mets with the Daily News uh, putting the two great pitchers in Yankee uniforms, putting Mets fans through the ringer. But um, sweeping the Diamondbacks is something they needed. Where do you think this club stands right now? Well, obviously I saw you at the game today, and uh, I, I think 
they're in the midst of what I call an opportunity. Six-game homestand. They just swept the first three. Now they got a you know a Miami team that they're better than, but have had trouble with in the past coming in for three games. I mean, they got to take at least two out of three here, get five out of six at the very least on this homestand, and try and get righted a little, which is what they've started to do. I mean, they they were playing. You know, we all know they were playing an ugly brand of ball for the first two three weeks of May. Now this is what I call an opportunity to get themselves righted, and you know then then move on from there. They got an eight game road trip to Milwaukee and Atlanta. Hopefully, you know you can split those four, and they're back for an eight game homestand against the Cubs, Yankees, and Orioles. So. You know, this is a chance for them. They've got to take advantage. These are the games that actually kill your chances if you, if you want to be a contender. The games against, you know, the nons, so to speak, and there are a lot of nons this year in Major League Baseball. Uh, well said, Howie. This is Mike here, and I agree. This hey. is, this is a, uh, a great opportunity. You know, we just brought up Jose Reyes, and, you know, you watch both American League and National League games. You're scoring for both teams over there. And I think one of the things that, you know, it was almost unfair to Jose is because the Mets almost have a, an American League roster with 13 pitchers, but without the DH, the, Mickey Callaway gets criticized for some of his in-game moves, and Reyes is up there last night with the bases loaded. And to me, um, I understand why they're doing it. I think it's a little bit of overkill. They're almost preparing for the monsoon, and there's no monsoon. Uh, I think if they would maybe get a little bit of a deeper bench, put Jose as that last guy on the bench, pinch run, they would have some more flexibility. They could have put Adrian Gonzalez up for him yesterday against, uh, you know, the righty when the righty was brought in. Uh, so I'm curious your thoughts on that. Mickey Calloway is almost managing an American League roster without the DH. Yeah, that's a good point. The structure of the roster is a little bewildering. But, it, you know, as far as Reyes goes, I mean, to me, his left-handed swings are awful. I mean, let's be real about it. He looks terrible left-handed. At least right-handed, he looks like he's taking a little better swing. Maybe he should seriously think about just batting righty. I know it's a drastic thing at this point, but yeah, they can't keep hanging on to him on emotion. I mean, he's got to be, you know, produce a little here. And as he said, he's coming up in key spots and not coming through. And you know, you hit the nail on the head with the 13 pitches. You're right. He's had kind of got like an American League roster, and I, you know. Which I didn't understand why they, they brought it, with all due respect, why bring in Gary DeSarcino, who's basically worked in the American League a lot as well, get a National League guy on the bench next to him, but that's another story. But, you know, whether they can hang on to Reyes from this point, they, I mean, they're going to have to part the ways and move on. I mean, he, he doesn't really provide anything on the field-wise. Maybe he's helping Ahmed Rosario. You know, he's starting to come around. He looks confident at the plate a little now. He had a couple of homers today. You know, but if Reyes doesn't get you know a couple of hits in the very near future, they're going to have to part the ways. Now, as far as the Met rotation is concerned, Howie, obviously we know that you know Degrom and Syndergaard are two the ace bullets in this staff. But three, four, five—it's question mark after question mark. And I guess my question to you is: at some point, does Mickey say, "Well, I know Lugo's been good in the bullpen, but he may be more valuable to me as a starter in this rotation"? I think they're going to let Vargas. You know, try to work out his stuff in the rotation. You got Wheeler and Mats, but let's play manager right now. You're Mickey Calloway. What do you do right now? Do you keep the three, four, five the way you have, or do you insert Lugo and put one of them in the bullpen? And if you do, which one do you put there? Well, I'll tell you, I, I would kind of like send a little cryptic message if I was him to those three pitchers by saying, "Look, if you don't, you know you don't get it going yet, we're going to make a move." 
you know, because Matt's is too inconsistent. Last night he's he, he had the, what I call the Denny Rasmussen disease. If you remember who Dennis Rasmussen <laughs> yes, was, with the, the Yankees, remember him, the big lefty pitch with the Yankees in the eighties. Yep. The only thing good he did was pick or try to pick off a guy at first. He had he had no guts. He, he used to work the plate against right-handed hitters from the outside to the middle instead of the middle in. So they knew they could hang in there with a cup of coffee and take swings on anything they wanted. Matz was doing that last night, just working the outside to the middle. Nothing really inside. He doesn't trust his stuff inside. And to me, I, I mentioned this to Rich today when I saw him. You know, with all due respect, pitching intellect-wise, I don't think Matz is there. And I haven't been impressed by what he's doing. The other two guys, I mean, Vargas, unfortunately, missed all that time in spring. He's a field pitcher. He's a, he's a finesse guy. He's got to have his command, you know, and he hasn't really pitched. And now they're putting him in spots where they need him to come through, and he can't command his stuff. So, that, you know, that, that's like a nightmare for, for, a, for a pitcher, the way he throws. The hitters are going to eat him up alive, and that's what's been happening. And Wheeler, to me, is A.J. Burnett 2-0. He gives you some good innings, and then all of a sudden, things will get out of hand with him where he doesn't put a hitter away, extends the counts, bottom third of the order, he has trouble putting away those three hitters, especially in the National League. You can't afford that. So, you know, they, they better start producing. I think that Gazelman, what he's doing in the bullpen, will help, you know, aid that decision to, if they do move Lugo. Now, as far as who would go in the bullpen, I don't see Matt's being a reliever, to be honest with you. To me, he's too much as a starting mentality. Wheeler may be the guy suited for that role because, you know, he's a guy who can give you two, three innings at a time. And then when he gets around the order once or twice, he's kind of in trouble. Howie, let's uh, go to the Yankees real quick. Uh, it's been ho-hum. I think the fans are starting to get ho-hum. Oh, another series won. I mean, they get a little outrage about the lineup uh, on Twitter. It's almost like yeah, they're trying that's to... That's ridiculous. They're trying to manufacture uh, rage at this point. I know that they're winning at the same kind of historic rate as they did in 98. We'll see. Look, the great bullpen, you know they're going to score runs, but when you really peel that onion, the old Brian Cashman peel the onion quote... That starting rotation outside of Severino, when you look at the metrics outside of the standard stuff, it's not really that great. And when they start playing elite teams, I know there's not that many of them, uh, I think that's where they get exposed a little bit. So naturally, you hear the fans on talk radio, when can they get Bumgarner? They talk about uh, Syndergaard and DeGrom. They're aiming high. Um, I think, you know, I guess it's going to be the summer of what starting pitcher the Yankees could get. I guess that's where we're headed to. Well, they went through the uh, elite of the American League pretty good the first time around during this streak. So I don't think it's a matter of whether they're going to beat the elite in the playoffs. We'll see. Everyone's in love with the Astro rotation. I'll give you a rotation. The Atlanta Braves. How many uh, World Series did they beat the Yankees in those days? Is this Yankee team going to be like those? No comparison. Yeah, it's ridiculous to even start to compare. Stop with the numbers, please. It's a different team. It's unproven. It's good. It has a chance to win the World Series. I don't think their rotation is as bad as their numbers indicate. To me, you need three starters in the playoffs. Yeah, the Astros have five. Okay, what are you going to put? You're going to put one in the bullpen. Is that going to make their bullpen stronger? You don't know what Gary Cole's going to do in the postseason, despite what he's doing now. You don't know what he's going to do in the second half. He's a, 
He's in a fortunate situation that he's under. He's like the third starter compared to Verlander, you know, Keiko, and then and then Cole. Even though he's really putting the numbers up, but he came in with not as much pressure. Like people are saying, oh, the Yankees should have went out and got Garrett Cole. All right, so he comes here to New York. He's like the, almost like the savior for the rotation behind Severino. He's under a different pressure, so you don't know how he's going to react to the pressure. You know, he, I think he pissed in one playoff game, that wild card game one year, and he was he was very average. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, you know, I expect them to add an arm. I don't think it, they're going to go out and get a Syndergaard or the Grom. Nonsense. It's nonsensical stuff. Please stop. Nonsense. There's a lot of nonsense out there these days, and you got to you got to weed out the real stuff and the nonsensical. But I think they'll go out and get an arm. I could see them going after a Cole Hamels. He's had some neck stiffness lately, but I think he's a free agent after this year, and the Yankees may take a shot there. It wouldn't cost them as much prospect-wise, at least in value. You know, all the fans, you automatically want to trade Clint Frazier. You know, let me tell you something. Aaron Hicks all of a sudden got off his butt when Clint Frazier came up from the minors. So obviously he was a little nervous about that, and I think Frazier's the better player. That's my opinion. You know, but if they trade him and they get a pitcher, they better be right. You can throw only only so many guys around. They're going to quit eventually. Yeah, and, you know, I look at the Yankees starting pitching, and this is the way I look at it. Severino's been outstanding, and I expect that to continue. Sabathia, I think, has been very good. I think we're going to probably see him come down a little bit. Tanaka, to me, is the wild card because you can make the case that the Yankees would have gotten nowhere in the postseason if Tanaka wasn't on this team. What he did in Game 3 against the Indians when their season was on the line, he kind of shut them out, and the Yankees got a, a really good win, and it catapulted them into the, um, into the championship series. And he pitched very well against the Astros in the championship series as well. To, yeah, me, to, he me, he's the wild, to me, he's the wild card, and he's got a lot of talent, but you know that he's going to be on the disabled list at some point this season. You just hope it's the right time. You almost want him to be on the disabled list because you want him not to have to throw all those innings with that elbow. But Howie, when Tanaka's on, he's one of the he's one of the better pitchers in the American League. Well, if you look up his record, it's obvious to where his formula is. If look at his splits. When he gets ahead in the count, he's very good. When he gets behind, he's, he's very hittable. He has a flat fastball. It's not that great. Obviously, he relies on the splitter and commands. And he, he's, no, he's no dope out there. But a lot of times, he's very hittable. And you've got to hope that you know, he at least keeps you in the game and limits the big innings at times. That's his bugaboo because things can get out of hand quickly on him where he's, hit, you know, where he's getting hammered. But, yeah, he's, he's one of the wild. They, they, they had a tough break when they lost Jordan Montgomery. He was yeah. trying to develop from the left side, which would have gave them a second lefty in their rotation, a little more balance. But right now they don't have that. So, you know, Sonny Gray came up big today. Is he going to be consistent? I've had my doubts about him. Well, I'll have to see. He has to prove it to me. I mean, he's a guy who hasn't shown he can be consistent today. He was good. That's not a great lineup anymore, certainly, the Royals. They're not the old Royals, but you take it and – and you move on to the next one. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, yeah, their starting rotation is their question mark. Who knows, you know, what could happen in the future? What if they get an injury in the bullpen? Then the bullpen becomes a question mark. So you really don't know what's going to happen down the road. You hope your strengths carry you. Baseball is a game where no championship team throughout history is perfect. There's always a flaw in there, here and there. And the championship teams overcome their flaws. Last year, Astros a perfect example. They had great starting pitching. Their bullpen was the question mark. So what did they do? They threw some starters in the bullpen, and they rode those arms to the World Series. Yep, absolutely. Overcame their flaw with their starters in the bullpen. 
Um, one final question for you, Howie, from me. What's been the biggest surprise that you've seen in the first six, seven weeks of the season? I'm talking about team-wise. Uh, negatively, is it the Dodgers? Positively, is it the Braves? I mean, what, what what's the two biggest surprises, both up and down, that you've seen so far this year? Well, I've been impressed with the Oakland A's because mm-hmm. I didn't think they were going to be this good. Their lineup, they have a pretty good offense. They have some arms as starters. Obviously, Manaya, the kid Sean Manaya is pretty good left-hander. Their bullpen's questionable, so they've been a surprise. The Dodgers are a huge disappointment, but, you know, then you look at what's happened to them. They lose Corey Seager. Cody Bellinger is not, is not the same as last year. I mean, it was amazing that a couple of Saturdays ago when he made that maneuver when they were losing by two in the bottom of the ninth and one out, and he was 3-0, and and he tried to bunt on 3-0. and Incredible. You know, mind-boggling, you know, and, and there's a little bit of a rift with him and the manager. Earlier in the year, the manager benched him for not hustling, and he, and he thought he, he was wondering why. He, he, in his mind, he, he didn't have a lack of hustle, so obviously there's a rift there. But, you know, they may be making a move now. They win a big series against the Nationals, won a doubleheader last night. You know, I think they swept the series the they four did. games, right? They did, and, and they did it with Scherzer and Strasburg no, in a three-game three games, series. It was rained out Friday. It was three yeah. games. Yeah, they, they, they won all three, and then the Nats had their top two pitchers pitching. So, yeah, I mean, listen, the Nats might have caught the Dodgers at the wrong time. You knew they were due to win some games. Well, you know, I did pick Washington not in the playoffs before the season. So you did, you know, and the Mets even as bad as the Mets have gone, they're two losses better than the Nationals. I know it's it's you know one it's of the things, one of the things I tweeted out earlier tonight, Howie, was that the Mets. If you look at the National League, only two teams in the National League have less losses than the Mets, which is mind-boggling considering what they've done in the past few weeks. It's also an indictment of how the league, the identity of the sport is going to be this year. You know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, very average ball clubs with a bottom level that, that is all, it's almost bottom heavy. That's what baseball is going to be as a whole. It's going to be bottom heavy instead of top heavy because there's only a handful of really good teams and they're going to eat up the, you know, the bad ones. I heard you guys talking about the Red Sox and the Yankees both winning a hundred games. You know, it's that kind of year where it's going to take a lot of wins to get into a wild card situation this year. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that we talked about, Mike and I, was if as a hundred win team in a wild card, and let's say the Angels are the team on the other side of it, and with Otani and Trout, any given day they can win. If you have a hundred law win team make the playoffs and are one and done. I'm sure they're going to put a lot of pressure on Major League Baseball to to make some tweaks in this playoff format. I don't think it needs it personally, but you know how that goes, Howie. Yeah, well, we'll see if the Angels can get there with Otani and have him lined up for for the wild card game. It's very interesting that you brought him up. I just wanted to make this point. You know, he's pitching once a week, and then he doesn't play the day before he pitches. What are they going to do down the stretch in September if they have to, if they're battling another team for that spot? They'll be able to line them up for the wild card game, and they're going to keep them on a week basis and rely on other people on the staff. To me, that staff's not that deep. You know, I think that, I think you know what they're doing now is is a credit to them. You don't know how it's going to line up with the wild card game, so you know that's unpredictable too because that second team they have to be in a battle with other teams to get in. And they have to, you know, adjust your rotation accordingly. 
So, yeah, a 100-win team could get knocked off, but it's, they'll also have the game at home, that team, right. more than likely. So that's a little bit of an edge, even though I know the teams can win on the road. So, it, it, you know, the, the difference between the two teams, obviously, you get a bounce here, a bounce there, but talent-wise, the better team should win that game anyway, and then you move on to the next round. So, you know, there's so many factors from here on in. We've got such a long way to go. Yep where it's going to settle and see where everybody is. But I think it's going to be fascinating some of the things that are going to take place as far as the standings. really is. Howie, thanks so much for joining us, and we always appreciate it. We'll talk to you real soon. Enjoyed it. I, always anytime. Take thanks, care. Man. Howie Carpin, uh, nobody knows this game of baseball better than Howie. Man, we, we, score we talk games. about it all the time. You know, I don't know if you see the scorer. Was it last night? The, the, the booth. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, uh, Cohen or... Might have been on. Uh, I think no, he was, was not the scorer last night. No, because there was. A, was oh the yeah, because they gave Flores, I think, a hit on. on yeah. Nets, and I was going to ask him, what did you think of that? But you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, another name when you talk about Yankees aiming high that I'll throw out there is uh, Clayton Kershaw. Now the Dodgers, he's a, he's got an opt out. The Dodgers before this week were on pace to lose ninety nine games. That changes a lot at this time of the year. Now they swept the Nats. They're five games out of first, so I don't think the Dodgers are going to sell. But if things get ugly. And there's the opt-out. Now, he has the right, even with the opt-out, so the timing is perfect. He gets a $3 million, I was reading, trade bonus. So whoever, you know, someone's got to pay him $3 bucks just for being traded. And then you have the $34 million prorated, whatever he's making this year, the rest of the year. And then if he opts in, you got, you're on the hook for $34, $34 million. It's an expensive contract. Now, he's still an elite pitcher, but he's had some little injuries over the last couple of years. He's 30 years old, miles on it. There's an interesting name you throw out there. It is, but... You also have to think about, like, will the Yankees bring someone in that'll take them over the cap, or will they go deeper and look at the bullpen? You mentioned Brad Hand. There's a name. I don't know if San Diego would dump him. Would they go and look for more bullpen arms and say, look, in the postseason, just mm-hmm. like they did last year, if um, you know you got Severino, you got Tanaka, by the fifth inning, you're not feeling good about these guys. You could go six, seven, eight, nine. Chapman could go two innings. You got David Robertson. You get yourself some better. Uh, you know some some other closer arms out there. Uh, I don't know if Canely. I'm sure Canely will be back uh, at some point. But you go out there and you acquire bullpen arms because look, they. I don't know if they're going to be able to get away with the names I told you: Chase Adams, uh, Floreal, uh, Montgomery, uh, guys like that to get an elite starter. If they couldn't get Jarrett Cole because the price was too high, and if no one is really convinced that Clint Frazier is a centerpiece, and I'm not sure teams are convinced. Because if they were, Cole would be with the Yankees right now. Then you know what they may they may have to take those prospects and go and get a bullpen arm. Look, no, just because Baseball America says the Yankees are loaded, and because the media says the Yankees are loaded, the farm system that may be they have the prospects to go out and get players. That doesn't mean they could go out and get the best starting pitcher on the market if that person arrives. And Bumgarner and Kershaw are probably not going to be on the market. Well, and, and listen, if they want one of those guys, Glaber Torres has to be in that deal. It has to be. You have to feel pain. You have to feel pain. Now, you could say with Kershaw there's an opt-out. That you say, well, he could opt-out. Well, you know, that's true. But there has to be some pain in this deal. You cannot get away and try to pawn off maybes or kids that are in low A or high A that are three years away and get elite talent. The team that trades, you know, Mets included, if they decided to go that route, they have to get someone that they could show their fans now. Right, they have to. They cannot get uh, just all low A players. Syndergaard was thrown in the Mets deal for Dickey as a lower a, as a lower level player, but it was Darno that was the guy that people wanted. 
Syndergaard was thrown in. That's uh, fine, but they would not have made that deal at that time if it was more centered around Syndergaard because Syndergaard wasn't a uh, a sure thing. Now, he's the guy that the deal was made out of. And so. remember, that was a pitcher coming off a signing award. You know, yeah. that's a, a pretty sure. that, selling him at the highest. Very point. fortuitous. He could have uh, signed. Right. So, I mean, we got a couple of minutes left in the show. I mean, my closing comments are the media needs to calm down and look at themselves in the mm, mirror. They won't. And they won't. the Mets, you know, we're – they're at an 88-win pace. I know Twitter doesn't want to admit that, but four games over 500 at the quarter pole, you're in an 88-win pace, and if you're in an 88-win pace, you were a playoff contender. The Yankees just keep on motoring and moving, and um, I look this week. I'm going to be very interested in that series with the Angels on the weekend to see what the Angels and Yankees can do after the Yankees really took care of them in Anaheim. And the Met, for the Mets, take care of business with the Marlins, and then – Try to keep your head above water with yeah. the Brewers, Split and then you got the Braves then you got a coming. Big, a big doubleheader next Monday in Memorial Day with the Braves. I want to thank Howie Carpin and Justin Walters for joining us on New York Sports Wrap, and I will leave you with this one last note. Baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. Football is a sprint, not a marathon. Don't get the two sports confused. Don't get the two races confused. You're in for the long haul with baseball. It's like that dinner guest that empties your liquor cabinet, and then you got to refill it, and then they're just going to empty it again. And it is the way of the world with Major League Baseball, but it is what makes it the greatest sport in the world. Rich Catino, we will be back on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be me and Justin Walters, although I'm not totally sure about that. Usually we don't know until about two minutes before the show. Till then, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.